0: The History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. This is Cassie Zachary, fashion historian, and your only host for today's episode, as it is now April's turn to take a break, but she's going to be back very, very soon. If you've been a longtime listener of the show, then you've heard us sing the praises of today's guest, who is our colleague, our friend, fashion educator, Kimberly Jenkins. We've done it on more than one occasion because Kim is a force in the field of fashion and fashion studies. She's perhaps best known for creating the course Fashion and Race at Parsons School in New York and for working as an education consultant for Gucci to support their efforts on cultural awareness. And you've heard us, as I said, speak repeatedly about her groundbreaking work as the founder of the Fashion and Race Database, which is an invaluable digital platform that embodies Kim's mission to expand the narrative of fashion history and really challenge misrepresentation in the fashion industry, which is no small order. And this is something she also endeavors to do with her formal consultancy called Artist Solomon, which provides bespoke research and insight about fashion history and theory. And then, of course, there's her latest project about which she joins us today, the podcast The Invisible Seam, Unsung Stories of Black Culture and Fashion. This five-part series was developed as a partnership between the Fashion and Race Database, Odyssey's Pineapple Street. Studios, and Tommy Hilfiger's People's Place program, which is a platform dedicated to increasing opportunities and visibility for underrepresented communities within the global fashion and apparel industries. Kim has long been on our wish list of guests for the show, and we are so happy she's finally joining us today. Kim, welcome. Kim, welcome to Dressed. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm so excited to talk to you today.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's been a long time coming, so... Really excited
0: to be here. Yeah, April and I have been following your work for some time, also colleagues and friends. Um, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. And you know, you've know, you amassed such this body of work that's so important, what you've done and will continue to do, including this podcast that we're here to talk about today. I'd love if you could just introduce our listeners to the podcast and what inspired you to create it.
1: Well, the Invisible Seam is, I'm tempted to just go into my podcast voice because Every episode, I, like, say the title and tagline. And I can't help but do it. So I'm <laughs> going to do it. Um, the Invisible seam is where we open up the archive of American fashion and celebrate its Black contributions. Style has a profound meaning to Black Americans. If we can't drive, we will invent walks, and the world will envy the dexterity of our feet. If we can't have ham we will boil chitlins. If we are given rotten peaches, we will make cobblers. If given scraps, we will make quilts. Take away our drums, and we will clap our hands. We prove the human spirit will prevail. We will take what we have to make what we need. We need confidence in our knowledge of who we are. The incomparable poet, Activist and educator Nikki Giovanni is responsible for those beautiful words, and I adore this quote. It's a beautiful illustration of the special sauce, the ingenuity that's embedded in the Black American experience, making a way out of no way, even where our access is deliberately denied, creating or finding beauty despite the circumstances. It's a reminder that Black American history is American history, period, in all its iterations. On this podcast, we're choosing to focus on the fashion. But fashion history doesn't tell us the whole story, and fashion has a history of misrepresentation when it comes to Black people. Popular fashion brands have profited off of Black culture. They don't hesitate to monetize it. But how often are they honest about that? How often do they shine a light on it and pass the mic to black scholars, curators, stylists, and designers? That's what we're doing here. In each episode, I'm taking you on a journey through various elements of the Black experience in the fashion industry. It's impossible to capture the entire rich history of Black people in fashion. But over the course of this show, we'll tell you some fascinating stories and talk to some of the smartest folks I know to help us peel back the layers of a complex and beautiful past, present, and future. So that's what it's about and how it came to be an industry colleague and friend of mine, Randy Cousin, who's the SVP of People's Place Program, head of the Tommy Hilfiger Lab. He works at Tommy Hilfiger Global, a Black man working in in the C-suite, right in the heart of the industry. And, you know, for me, being a Black woman working in kind of the heart of academia and him working in the heart of the industry, we kind of reached a point in our careers where we were kind of reaching back as we climb and trying to really make space. And we felt that we had enough leverage and even enough privilege at this point to really start, I don't want to say giving back, like sounding charitable, but just really being able to be a little more forward about what the industry could do and what it needs. And so the conversations he and I were having were just sort of like, there is so much, um, so many underrepresented contributions for Black people in American fashion. And, you know, you see one trend or style happening that derived from Black culture, just, you know, even the conversations about cultural appropriation and things like that, the misrepresentation or underrepresentation of Black people in fashion. And, and these conversations were not unlike the ones I was having with other kind of Black folks in the fashion system. And so we just thought, how can we merge forces? You know, like, Kim, you're the researcher. I'm, you know, the industry person who can, you know, get the industry to listen. So, you know, what does this look like? And so for me, I have a platform called the Fashion Race Database. So one thing I was thinking about was, well, you could look at us as an intellectual or research engine to kind of actually excavate these histories and figure out what this looks like. I know a bunch of researchers that are fabulous where we can really tell these stories about Black contributions to fashion. And for Randy, coming from Tommy Hilfiger, Tommy Hilfiger is all about American sportswear. So we merged forces. We developed a partnership last year um, that went through this year, where they kind of supported us in funding research about the Black contributions to uh, American fashion. And then we wanted to take it one step further. I've always wanted to have a podcast for like 10 years. And I loved the idea of kind of mobilizing this history and putting it in like an audio format, not just these research articles that I had amassed with Tommy Hilfiger to just live on the database, but like, how can we like tell these stories? You know, people, I know people let's do this. So he talked to the Tommy team. They were excited and nervous all at once because they were like, yes, a podcast how do we build a podcast? And so, um, this was their first ever podcast. This is where you have a fashion brand, you know, launching a podcast. So I was already talking to the good people at Pineapple Street Studios who've done just countless podcasts, successful pod, award-winning podcasts. So, you know, we had them to support us and, um, we decided to put together a podcast that explored black contributions to fashion. So that is exactly what we did.
0: (laughs) And congratulations. It's a wonderful podcast. I didn't want it to end. There's only five episodes out. So maybe there will be more in the future. But
1: so many stories. It's worthy of a season two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always say on Dress that there's an endless amount of stories to tell. So the absolute same thing applies to this podcast, The Invisible Seam. We could just go on and on and on. So we're excited to see what you bring next. But first, let's talk about this podcast. So this podcast is organized around five episodes, each of which explores Black contributions in fashion through a different lens. So music, politics, or college, fashion culture. These are, of course, not mutually exclusive to one another, but in fact, are intimately interlinked. So how did you come up with the narrative arc of the podcast? And can you talk a little bit about what that arc is?
1: Yes. And I cannot take all the credit. That's for sure. I was very lucky to work with a stellar team at Pineapple Street. Um, So Stephen Key, Sophia Steiner and Evoy, Yinka Rinkford and and Aaron Edwards. They were like my production team and writers. These were people who were not familiar. I mean, they 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 produce and write for podcasts of various topics. So when I'm coming to them with fashion studies and much like everyone I talk to about fashion studies, it's sort of like, well, what is it? Is it fashion design or is it just fashion history? You know, and I have to explain, it's kind of the why behind what we wear and kind of the material culture behind it. And so when I was explaining the vision, then they were like, oh, got it. And then Randy from Tommy Hilfiger was also adding like, yeah, I want this to be sort of like an unsung for fashion history. And when I say unsung, he's referencing it's one of those things for our listeners, if you know, you know. There was a show on, um, there's a, a Black TV network called TV One, and they, ha- they have a long-running TV show called Unsung, and it's a show that's dedicated to musicians of the past who we've all kind of loved, but never really knew their story, or they kind of seem to disappear from the limelight and things like that, and so it kind of gives them their flowers. So he was like, if it could be like an unsung for fashion history, that would be amazing. So um, a story started to take shape. So, you know, Tommy, really shout out to Tommy Hilfiger because they kind of tossed me the keys and they knew I really was passionate about this. So for me and the podcast team, we were able to kind of like get to work and start writing. What does this look like? How if this was almost like a book, how could you break it up into various chapters? And so um, I was coming in very academic and that's where it was such a good collaboration because when you're writing for podcasts, you know it's really to make it sort of imaginative and accessible. And there's some things that you know, Cassie, you and I can say, you know, when you're reading a paper in front of people and you know, <laughs> academic audience, audience, is like, yes, but like <laughs> podcast audiences are like, this is really dry. <laughs> like yeah. I can't keep listening to you speak like this. So I had to learn that and kind of soften it up. But what we were able to do was kind of break it up into these areas of life, of everyday life, these aspects. So kind of politics, HBCU culture, activism, no blueprint, which is one of my favorite episodes, the first one of like, what do you do when there's no blueprint for what you want to do, but you've got the vision. Futures, what does the future look like? Um, So that was really fun kind of figuring out, okay, let's develop the sections or these kind of chat audio chapters. And now who, who are the kind of, what's our dream list of people we want to come in and speak about that? And that was really exciting because- Now I really got to put my academic hat on and it's not just stylists we're bringing in or actors or designers and, you know, other industry leaders, but it was me saying, oh my God, this is a dream come true. I've always wanted a, you know, a reason to bring in my historian friends, my curator friends, PhD candidates, you know, they were all just bottled up with so much amazing knowledge that I wanted everyone to hear that you only hear them in conferences or you know, any, any of these you know, other academic spaces. So um, that's when I really got to bring them in. And so it was kind of beautiful to be able to marry these voices together. Like what happens when in one episode you put like a curator or like a historian at Barnard College in conversation with, you know, with, with a designer who's you know, got their own lived experience and their own way of knowing, you know, their own knowledge. So
0: that was really cool. As indicated by the podcast title. One of the central themes of the podcast is introducing listeners to Black individuals who have been instrumental in creating fashion and fashion history, but have been too long overlooked or underrepresented. Can you introduce us to some of these people that you interviewed? And that includes, I think, academics, and historians, and journalists, kind of this broader range of people that you interview, because you really do interview this incredible cast of people who, again, because there may be curators or academics, are not well known to the broader public. And so you're kind of, again, bridging that gap.
1: Yeah. I mean, I again, I was so excited to do this. It was a dream come true. It was, I was like, now we get to marry both worlds, academia and industry. So I, I believe one of the first He's not the first person you hear in the podcast, but he was the first person we recorded. And I was super excited. And it was Richard Thompson Ford. I don't know if you and April had him on your podcast. No, but
0: but I think we are going to. (laughs)
1: He's at Stanford. He's a professor at Stanford and wrote the book Dress Codes. So he's just like the person to talk about dress codes. So he was our first guest. And it was really exciting because I think, you know, whatever walk of life you come from in fashion, you're likely not to know. Who in the world Richard Thompson afford (laughs) is like going through the library and looking for a book on dress codes. So so him. I was very excited to bring him into it. And he knocked it out the park. It was fabulous. But also like three other people I want to mention to you and our listeners. One I just love, um, who you're probably familiar with, Jeffrey Banks, who started, you know, off in the 60s as this precocious black teen um, living in D.C., had aspirations of becoming a fashion designer and was quickly told, as you'll learn in the episode, no one has ever heard of a black designer, (laughs) you know, kind of like put that idea out of your head. And he was like, watch me. And he had, you know, he was working at this high-end men's store in DC, kind of like a Brooks Brothers and was like 16 years old outselling all the adult salespeople on the floor, knew his stuff. He was like, oh, you need to match this tie with this. You know, like he just really knew his stuff. And decided I'm moving to New York and I'm going to go to Pratt or Parsons. He got into both schools, what started at Pratt, long story short, I don't know where his book is. He really, someone needs to write his book, but, uh, or a TV show. I could easily see it as a TV show, a (laughs) talk series, but he went there and I mean, he could barely get through school before an early, you know, menswear tie designer by the name of Ralph Lauren had his eye on him and was just like, do you want to intern with me? Like you're, you're kind of brilliant. And so he started working with him. And next thing you know, Calvin Klein, you know, a new designer on the scene is like, no, I want to work with you. (laughs) Like, come work with me. And so, I mean, you've got these people kind of fighting over Jeffrey Banks. And he also is responsible for helping to design the CK logo. He designed Morona Sport, which is a popular kind of a a label for Target that you see at Target. It's like they're kind of in-house sportswear. A hidden figure who's still amongst. Yeah. He curated an exhibition on Norman Norell. The list goes on. Like he won Cody awards. I mean, he's just brilliant. Um, Wrote a book on prep. So yeah, just really a fabulous person. Um, Sassy also is a costume designer starting in the 80s to the 90s. Um, She was the costume designer for the TV show A Different World and designed Whitley's signature looks. Um, Whitley Gilbert. And then Monica Morrow, also um, a stylist in the mid to late 90s, who was designing all the signature pieces for the rappers Ghostface Killa and Cameron. Many people know Cameron for the fluffy pink fur coat. That was her, that was her. That was her idea. And it was so exciting to meet her and to have her tell her story. And she just really came alive and was telling the stories of, you know, she and her friend getting thrown up against a police car when they were shopping for looks for a music video, because the police assumed, what are you doing with those designer bags? You must be stealing. And so, you know, just all the hurdles she had to go through and how sobering it was, she said, to then see Balenciaga and, you know, all these other luxury brands take the looks that she popularized 30, 20 years earlier. And now, you know, they're getting applauded for it and no one knows who she is or wants to work, you know, ever wanted to work with her. It was at those moments when I was hearing stories like that and we're recording it. I'm like, see, this is this is why we're doing this. That we have to document all of these stories. And there's probably so many more.
0: Right. And I think with the Balenciaga, are you talking about the sagging? Or is there like multiple, multiple movies? Yeah, there probably, was multiple. But- it,
1: it's the sag, it was a sagging, but I think even by the time of our recording, one thing that was on her mind, I think it may have been another look also by Balenciaga, that was clearly like hip-hop or streetwear influenced. And so she was just kind of saying. You know, when we were wearing that, we were criminalized or we were laughed at and we were mocked and designers didn't want to touch us with a 10 foot pole. And now you guys are monetizing it and applauded for it like as if you're the originators, because some of our younger fashion students or fashion lovers, you know, they don't know who in the world Monica Morrow is or Cameron is. And so they're just, you know, just seeing Balenciaga introduce it to them.
0: Right, right. And so, again, one of the reasons this podcast is so important is introducing these narratives to people who might not even be remotely aware of this history. I would argue that most people aren't aware of that history, which is something I really, really loved about this podcast. You also interview a designer, Miko Underwood, who's the designer of Oak and Acorn. And I loved that episode because she's talking about, and this is something we covered in the Riveted Blue Jeans um, episode on that documentary, which you figured prominently in that documentary about the history of blue jeans, and she talks about this too, is how she kind of integrates that history and how important that history is to the present day. And of course, we're talking about the fact that the knowledge to create indigo dye was brought to America by enslaved people. And yet it's a story that we so often associate with a white man, Levi Strauss, right? So it's like, How do you retell these stories? And it's not even just, like, rewriting history. It's expanding the narrative, right, to actually show all of these different angles. Something I also really loved was learning that Rosa Parks is a seamstress. It's kind of like, that's left out of the narrative, but it's so important.
1: So important. Yeah. So, I mean, other, like, special moments that I really liked. This is so random, but my colleagues and I were kind of tickled by this. Was um, Web Devoise's voice? For some reason, one reason or (laughs) another, I've never heard his voice. And so, I mean, when you work with a podcast team, you know, their job is to kind of like pull archives and audio footage and all kinds of stuff. And so, they pulled some footage of his voice speaking. I'm like, that's what he sounds like. (laughs) My friend, also uh, a colleague of mine, was like, hi just wasn't expecting that. (laughs) So, um, so yeah. And also someone on our advisory board for the podcast was also just like commenting on it and saying, we should just have a whole episode dedicated to his voice. But yeah, so that was really special. I would also say just the process, it kind of went deep, you know, in the middle of the process. And this, this is interesting in terms of fashion and race and, you know, um, bridging academia to industry, oftentimes in academia, and, you know, I've dealt with these critiques, you know, there's an apprehension, you know, people in academia are like, mm, there's a reason why we're siloed, or there's a reason why we don't build a bridge over to industry, they're part of the problem, they add to pollution, they contribute to overconsumption, and, you know, distorted views of ideals of aspiration, and, you know, they're and they're flaky, and, you know, they're not diverse, and, Yeah. They're capitalistic above, you know, above anything else. And so, you know, sometimes it felt a little Pollyanna or just sort of naive when I talk about these dreams, like when I worked with Gucci in the past, like, no, I can talk to them or, you know, I want to engage them and, you know, not only hold brands accountable, but, you know, bring them in to this narrative because they're contributing to it one way or another. Um, But sure enough, during the production of the podcast and there was a snag, you know, there was something that Tommy Hilfiger in the middle of our production had said in an article for an, for an online magazine. And it was taken out of context or, you know, it, it was taken, it, it made people very angry. And let's just say he was talking about his contributions to streetwear um, as a designer and amongst his peers and the way it the quote that he gave the way it was presented in the article ruffled feathers and a lot of black people then you know any kind of softening that they had towards the brand they thought you know there it is that's exactly why you know we don't mess with these brands they're not here for us they just exploit us and so, you know, it was tough, you know, I mean, and, and again, my creative partner and all this is Randy Cousin, a black man who has represented the Tommy Hilfiger brand and was working, working hard at the People's Place um, to expand all these narratives and, you know, was supportive of everything I was doing. And so it was tough because that was something we had to kind of fight and deal with in building this podcast. Because, you know, this podcast was going to be coming out to the world in partnership with Tommy Hilfiger, a brand that everyone had remembered, you know, months before, embroiled in, you know, this kind of crisis, you know. So there was that. And, you know, and I, I, I'd i be lying if I said I wasn't, you know, sweating blitz and just thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, because when anytime these things come out and people hear it, yeah, there's a reason why people doubt fashion brands. and. Um, And and become very apprehensive. So I do have to say something special that came out of that is we didn't put a stop to the podcast. It helped us kind of recalibrate and figure out, okay, how would we approach this in a different way? Tommy Hilfiger didn't back down. And I'm when I say Tommy Hilfiger, the brand, the the people, the the amazing team I was working with at the brand, they didn't back down. (laughs) We just thought, let's roll with this. This is what we're standing for. This is what this podcast is about. And most of all, we agreed that Black people needed to be centered in this podcast. And, you know, we needed to tell our story and they weren't going to back down from that promise. And so we also, and I don't know how many podcasts do this, but to keep this really honest and to uphold the kind of intellectual integrity and the social justice integrity of the podcast, we assembled an advisory board. And so that involved like Kimberly Drew from the art world, um, Nick Nelson um, from the industry, who's an instructor at Parsons School of Design, Terry Agins, legendary veteran fashion journalist, Miko Underwood, Shamira Covington, a PhD student in Georgia, who stands for, you know, decolonization and fashion. So assembling that advisory board was really important and really special and unique to this podcast because it just showed we were like deepening our, our dedication to what the story was about. And, you know, we had other kind of black voices and perspectives overseeing this whole thing so that people didn't kind of write this off as like some branded gimmick or, you know, or you know, yeah, just some superficial project. So so yeah, that was really special also. And the and the solidarity that we all built as a result of that and and the writing team.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you told that story because I think it really shows that Tommy Hilfiger is invested in making meaningful change versus like this gla- gaslighting with, you know, the Black Square after Black Lives Matter or whatever yeah. where it's like this like ver- this facade That is presented and front-facing, but there isn't any actual meaningful change within these companies. So that's really nice to hear. And of course, it's going to be an imperfect process, but it does sound like they're invested in actually doing a meaningful collaboration with you and making meaningful change.
1: Yeah, it really meant a lot because, yeah, it could have gone (laughs) other directions. And I was really pleased with, you know, how dedicated they were to really telling these
0: stories. Are there any other favorite stories that you'd like to share from within the podcast that might surprise listeners or anything that just surprised you after interviewing people?
1: I think from an advocacy perspective, the women of the podcast. So again, not to harp too much on the personnel, but like, um, Jan Barry, who is a hidden figure in this whole process. Um, you won't really see her name that much or maybe in the credits, but she was the one who kind of facilitated and produced the whole podcast. And it's a Black woman who, you know, wasn't experienced in fashion studies and was really fascinated by this whole idea. You know, we became very close. And, you know, for her also riding with me through, you know, that whole snag in the in the media when Tommy Hilfiger had made the statement and, you know, all of that, um, she was just so steadfast. And so, like, her leadership in that, I, I think... Uh, Things that people often don't know about when they listen to a podcast is everything that happens behind the scenes. So, like the relationships that were established behind the scenes and the activism that was mobilized behind the scenes, a lot of people aren't going to really know about. But it was through that advocacy that we also made sure that we had as many women as possible telling their stories in this podcast. So, many of the women really found it important to tell their stories because they thought when it comes to fashion, so many men end up, you know, taking up all the episode space, you know, getting all the stories, they, they get the microphone. It's always the genius designer that's a man and, you know, the the genius stylist and, you know, all of that genius photographer, genius makeup artist. So for them to tell their stories of how sometimes they feel sidelined. So it was really great, not just having strong women on the production team and writing team um, and, you know, just really kind of facilitating who you end up hearing in each of these episodes, but the women themselves who we interviewed. And also another shout out, like a really tender moment. I have to give a shout out to Stephen Key, one of the producers. White man, you know, writing some of the most beautiful scripts that people are going to think I wrote and was coming out of the voice of a Black woman. And it's actually a white man who was so inspired by what, we were talking about and what the episode was about, so he would do the writing and get inspired. And he's like, "What do you think of this?" I'm like, "Steven, this is brilliant," you know. So I, so that was a really special moment too. The fact that some of the, a lot of the things I read actually were coming from a white man. So the the solidarity was beautiful. The like the collaboration and everything, and how we actually melded voices was really awesome. That's like one of the most memorable things I'll take away from building, designing this podcast.
0: So what are you ultimately hoping listeners will take away from the podcast? Because now all of our listeners are going to run over and listen to this five-episode series and immediately demand more. But what are you ultimately hoping comes out of this when people are finished listening?
1: A sense of pride. A sense of pride of how far we've come as black people, what we've contributed to, what we've endured in a fashion system that wasn't designed for us to thrive in. And also the anthropologist in me, it's like a story about material culture. So I was obsessed with material culture in undergrad as soon as I learned it and what it was, but it, it was a real a full circle moment for me um, being able to kind of deliver those stories in that way. And so I hope that almost like a book, you know, it's telling these stories in different chapters. And that people get to expand what they actually thought about not just American fashion, but Black fashion history. Um, You know, there's not that many podcasts that I know of that's covering that. Um, There's only now just a few books from, you know, friends in our community like Elizabeth Way, publishing a book on, you know, Black fashion designers. But we're just now getting these different forms of publishing coming out, telling these stories. So why the invisible seam is so important to me and what I hope listeners take away is, wow, you know, I have, I'm coming away with such a holistic perspective of fashion history and black history, um, you know, and also learning, oh, there's not just black fashion designers and stylists. There's a black curator. I just heard from, there's a black PhD student. I just heard from a black historian. So really, it it was great, you know, and Monica Miller in it, you know, coming from a literature department, contributing to the story. It's so interdisciplinary. So everyone was coming from kind of different departments and fields and different aspects of the fashion industry. So yeah, they get the full kind of kaleidoscope of fashion history.
0: Well, I know, as I said, people are going to rush out and listen to it. They're going to be so happy when they do. and so pleased as I was after listening to it and again, demanding more. Immediately. Yes. Kim, thank you so much for being here. This was wonderful.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: Well, what are you waiting for, dress listeners? I hope you waste no time in downloading this wonderful five-part podcast series, The Invisible Seam, after listening to the trailer, which starts right now. We have been really left out out of history in so many industries in this country and in
1: this world, and fashion is one of those places. The fashion industry is known for highlighting its many glittering stars, the folks responsible for setting standards and trends. However, in America, the picture that's painted all too often neglects to color in the more diverse shades of that story.
0: All I wanted from the time I was 10 years old was to live and be in New York and work in the fashion business. I am a kid who's from Youngstown, Ohio, who just could only dream to be in fashion. And I often say I'm a unicorn and I shouldn't be here. It's always cheesy to say I had a passion for fashion, but (laughs) truly my passion for fashion started when I was a young girl.
1: I'm Kimberly Jenkins, a fashion scholar, industry consultant, and all around curious person when it comes to the influences behind what we wear. I'll be leading you on the journey through this podcast. We've curated a space of acknowledgement and celebration. I'll be speaking with designers, stylists, scholars, artists, and more. From what we just told you where we came from to be working with the biggest artists
0: in hip-hop. And guess what? Be talking the way we talk, looking the way we look, and doing it our way. Starting the performance with that strut, with that entire ensemble, and then she rising from the the bleachers at the top, and you see the band, and then she's wearing her yellow hoodie with the Louis Vuitton boots. I mean, it was a moment that I was like, okay.
1: On the invisible seam, we're taking you through the legacy of Black contributions to fashion while excavating what we think and feel about this history.
0: I feel like when I put on my costume for Whitley, it made me more her. I designed this little very short cropped textured uh, vest and a, like a kufi. And she had high waisted pants and it was just elegant, but it was afro elegant. That shit was the bomb. I was like, oh.
1: We'll be exploring the multi billion dollar American fashion industry and its symbiotic relationship to music and historically black colleges and universities and how our clothing choices can reinforce what we stand for and who we want to honor. Yes, we love clothes, but it's a coping mechanism. We're creating this fantasy for ourselves to get through life and to
0: create a certain type of armor. My journey is constantly feeling overlooked, but I am hopeful and I continue to remain hopeful and I continue to fight and put out what I want to put out and do it the way that I want to do it. We
1: also look to the future, to ponder how far we've come and what lies ahead. You know, I still go to meetings and sitting rooms, and I'm the only Black person there. And, you know, so if you let me in, like, there will be no more doors or shut windows. I'm
0: taking the door with me.
1: Join us and subscribe to The Invisible Seam from the Fashion & Race Database, Tommy Hilfiger's People's Place program, and Pineapple
0: Street Studios. One thing about people of color is that we are resilient and we'll find our own way. And you don't let us in through the front door. We will go through the back door. We'll go through a window. We'll go through a crack. Doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. But why do we always have to? Why can't the front door just be open? Well, that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider the unsung stories of Black culture and fashion next time you get dressed. For images accompanying each week's episode, please follow us on Instagram at dressed_podcast. underscore podcast. We love hearing from you, so if you'd like to email us, please do so at Dressed at iHeartMedia.com. And as always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pagram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio, who makes the show possible each and every week. The History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite
1: shows.